in the world of AI news. Reuters just had this this week, this past week. It's an interesting thing that about 700 employees of an AI organization threatened to jump ship and go to Microsoft to support their AI system. So if you don't, if you don't know how complicated it is to even run a, an AI system, if 700 of your employees in a smaller company, a competitive company, to Microsoft's AI system, if 700 of them are threatening to walk out and go work for Microsoft, this is a, it's a big, big project to run AI stuff. And they were threatening to walk out because this particular company had fired, or at least put on temporary leave, the CEO because there were some questions about who was revealing what about the dangers of AI. And some had brought out some problems that there actually may be some truth to the fears of things becoming like we see in the movies where computers take over and destroy humanity. There's this kind of thing going on and it's such a battle that a CEO was terminated and 700 apparently key employees threatened to leave if they didn't reinstate him. And they did reinstate him. That's what this article is about that came out this week. There's a lot going on in the world of AI. So we're going through a series called Beyond Artificial Intelligence. When things don't make sense, God's word still does. So whatever's going on out there in the convoluted stuff, we know we can go to God's word and we can gather together and uplift it. And that's what we do. We're going through Proverbs right now. I want to give you an important reminder. Wisdom is personified as a woman. Now, it's an interesting thing because I was very tempted to play on uh, something and have a thing that pops up that says, not today, and then maybe. Um, but I left it alone. just thought I'd tell you about it. I want to remind you a couple of weeks ago, the message was Proverbs chapter 5 and also chapter 6, verses 20 to the end of the chapter, God's warnings against sexual deviance, part 1. That was two weeks ago, and I wanted to remind you of that because we, we covered chapter 5, and then we covered part of chapter 6, and today is when we cover that part that we skipped over in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 to 19. The reason why we had done it that way was because it's very difficult for people to digest a whole lot of something they're not used to. I mean, if you're going to talk about sexual deviance, that's not popular. That's not something we're even supposed to even think this is a thing anymore. So it's hard in modern times for people to digest all of that. But it's right there in Proverbs, and it keeps coming up. Today is similar. A subject is going to come up that is uncomfortable. It's not about sexual deviance but it's about something else, and we're going to tackle it, we're going to talk about it, and we're going, to, we're going to address it when it's definitely not something that you hear addressed very often at all, not in our homes, not in our churches, and certainly not in the public sphere. The title of the message is More Wise Warnings. Your Bibles might have in the translations uh, and paraphrases broken up, and it may some th say something like 
practical wisdom or practical warnings. And that's what we're doing today. So we'll jump right into the text. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 1. My son, if you have put up a security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Now there's a lot here right off the bat. First of all, Solomon begins again with my son. So he's, particularly in his situation, he's concerned about Rehoboam, who will be the heir of the throne. And we can learn a little bit about his foreknowledge because of what's happening in the Proverbs right here as we read them. Apparently, Rehoboam got ahead of himself and harmed himself a lot. And so he's giving him this advice, and it's for us as well. It's wisdom, but he's doing it as a father. So right off the bat, even though wisdom is personified as a woman, he is appealing to his son as a father, and he will do so even more heavily as we move along. But he's trying to save his son from problems that he is causing himself. He's trying to save us from causing ourselves problems. So if we're doing these kinds of things, if we're putting up security for something, it puts us basically under the control of the person that we owe. And so we set a trap for ourselves when we do such things. So he's telling his own son and he's telling us, don't set a trap for yourself. Don't cause yourself to have to be controlled by someone else by making these foolish arrangements. Now, some would take it further. There was before, uh, today we have a particular Christian guru whom I like a lot that many of you have read, um, Dave Ramsey. I don't know who he is. Good stuff. Before him, it was Larry Burkett. Maybe you remember him. Larry Burkett went further than Dave Ramsey um, in some ways and held back in, in some ways. They, these are men who were dedicated to God, and they give us their financial advice based on their life experience and their relationship with Christ. So that's good, but they are men. And Larry, Bur Larry Burkett would, would actually talk about that there's a way to borrow money and actually use it for leveraging and uh, advance yourself. And Dave Ramsey would say, don't ever borrow money. Don't ever have any uh, lending in your life at all. Don't owe. Don't, have, uh, don't worry about your credit score, all that. That's the kind of stuff. If you've read his stuff, you know that's how he talks. <clears throat> and you can read the Bible and you can justify both of those positions I would highly recommend just trust the Bible, and someday maybe we'll talk about all of those matters and how there's, there's room to borrow. You're supposed to pay your debts, though. We're told to do that. We're not told don't have debts. We're told don't, you have to pay your debts. But here Solomon's given us wisdom in that if you, if you can not set a trap for yourself, just don't do it. Don't. 
And then on top of that, it's not just about the money. It's also about saying things with your mouth that you're committed to do that you can't follow through. That, did you see that as well? Don't set a trap for yourself. Don't say you're going to do something and you can't do it. Don't. Because that makes you a liar. And he'll bring that up again in a little bit. But he doesn't, this isn't something we should just sit on and listen to it in church and think, you know, yeah, someday I'll get that all figured out. Notice the word hasten in the text. Hurry up and get it done. Go take care of the business that you need to take care of. Don't wait. Go do it now. Because our tendency is to procrastinate, to put it off. I'll take care of it another day. I'll get to that. I'll grow in my spiritual faith and eventually I'll be there. No, you, you put yourself in a bad spot. You can get yourself out of it. It's not just going to go away. Did you catch the urgency? So if this speaks to you, then do what you have to do. And don't wait. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 4 continues. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Now, that's an interesting thing. I want you to notice the footnote that I left up there for you. The Hebrew does not have the phrase of the hunter, but it's implied, and that's why it's there. And besides, it's in many other translations prior to the English Standard Version. So rather than just look like they're leaving out Scripture, they go ahead and put in the implication but the idea is that you need yourself to be diligent. The idea, it's not just, this is a, this is, he's kind of using a very a hyperbole, a strong language. <laughs> we have to sleep. You have to rest. But you're supposed to be diligent, make haste, take care of matters that are important, get yourself some ambition, or you will be someone else's prey. Did you catch that? Don't be the prey. We'll continue. He's got a point, and now he makes it. Proverbs 6, 6 and following, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Now, there's a lot to pay attention to here, but I added a note myself. It's not in my translation. But I wanted you to see the Hebrew word here for sluggard, because some of you don't know. The Hebrew word is atzel. Literally translated, it would be slothful one. Have you seen a sloth move? You just want to help them. You want to get somewhere, right? I want to pick it up and move it, because it takes forever to even act like it's going to move. So you want to help them. That's the way a sloth is. So a slothful one is also, if you got into Google and did a Google Translate with that Hebrew word, it would tell you the translation is lazy. Lazy. And if you look at it on Wikipedia, which really is just a conglomeration of people like you and me who put information in there, couch potato is another phrase that Wikipedia says would fit this Hebrew word, couch potato. Well, that fits modern times, does it not? Now, the sluggard, I want to 
I want to talk to you about the sluggard, the lazy one. Um, the scripture starts with, go to the ant. Let's not miss it. Because we live in a world where people spend so much time on their screens. One of my Thanksgiving memories popped up where we went to Europe last year. This time of the year, we went to get a shot in the arm of Christmas. So we went there, and while we were there, there was a photo taken of our group. And everybody else that was in the subway in Europe, so they're a lot like Americans, they were all on their cell phones. It was a crowded subway, and they were all on their cell phones. And so were we, because there was somebody taking a selfie. Everybody that was there was on their cell phone. That's what they do. That's what people do. They go out to eat with each other and don't talk. No, they get on their cell phone, and there's two people sitting in front of each other on their cell phones, not even talking. Have you seen this? People do this all the time. They're constantly on their screens. And don't miss what God is saying when he says, go to the ant. How do you do that? Unless you're a person that doesn't maintain your home, you have to go outside to find the ants. You, you have to go out there in the woods, sit down and rest and look, and you'll see the ants. You, you typically don't find them in your homes. You shouldn't. <laughs> you got to go outside. So don't miss that. Go outside. People don't do that like they used to. Many of us grew up going outside all the time. That's not the way a lot of kids grow up today. They're inside, in front of screens, almost all the time. And if you want some wisdom, go outside and just observe nature. And Solomon says, in particular, look at the ant. Don't miss this, especially lazy one, whoever the lazy one is. It says, consider her ways. Did you catch that? Once again, wisdom is personified as a woman. And be wise. Watch the ant and be wise. He's talking about a female ant. He didn't have to do that. But there he goes again. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. In other words, she thinks ahead. She's not all about instant gratification. She's about, I have to make sure that we're going to be okay as time moves on. Because she is wise. So what does that mean for us? That means we should be thinking things through. Think about the consequences that are going to come from whatever we're doing right now. And if we're not doing anything but being lazy, then there are consequences for that. We won't have things taken care of when the needs arise. Now, there's another note I want to have pop up. It's called GameQuitters.com, Why Gamers Are Not Lazy. Now, let's go to the screen, the next screen. So this is the, what it looks like if you go to that website. It's uh, called Game Quitters. <clears throat> it's an interesting place to peruse. I highly recommend you take some time and look at it. Now, while this is up, I want to give you some information that might surprise you. It was a guy, a retired Army lieutenant colonel by the name of Dave Grossman 
who wrote a book that really grabbed a lot of people's attention. He's a psychologist. He has his own business of studying psychological matters in a particular area, particular field of study within psychology. It's very narrow in its research and its scope, but it is very, very practical in modern times. He's the guy that gets pulled into every mass shooting. Going way back. He's the expert who would sit on the stand and talk about profiling and things like that. He's the one they pull in to talk about how to prevent this sort of thing. So he wrote a book. And the name of the book is called On Killing. I don't have a slide for you. That book is very hard to get today. My copy's missing. I would, I would loan it to you, but mine's gone. I've loaned it out and it hasn't been returned. I'm not very good at keeping records of that kind of thing. It's a very thick book. It's a long read, but it is very, very thorough. I was surprised when I read the book because some of those things that came out were what he had uncovered in his, and his team had uncovered. He's got a massive team of people that work for his business. What he uncovered was, um, what, what he studied in particular was, why do people do this? Why, why, does, why have so many kids gone to schools and shot their beers up? And in the research, one of the things he said happens is that a kid will go in for a reason, maybe, maybe they're bullied, maybe they feel like they're bullied, and they have access to weapons they shouldn't have access to, so they go in and their intended targets are there, but the problem is when, when things begin to unfold, They've been playing these violent video games, and so when things begin to unfold, when they, the first shot happens, everybody starts running and moving and hiding, and then it becomes a video, video game in their mind, and they're like shooting the zombies again. So anything that's moving, they're shooting it. And the reason why Grossman was pulled into this, and also he wrote a second book, now he's written a third one, the second book was called On Combat, and it has absolutely been used in law enforcement and military around the world because of what it reveals. His studies have revealed some things that we wouldn't expect. So you'd think that he would be the guy that's championing the cause, like no video games, no violent video games, stay away from them, everybody, that you would think that. That's not what he does. What he does is he encourages all law enforcement and military to play those games, which they already do. But play those games because if you don't, you're not gonna know how to handle when you engage someone who's used to playing those games that just wanna shoot everything that's moving. It's something that threw law enforcement off when this first started happening. They had never been trained to deal with somebody who just shoots anything that's moving. Previously, before all these video games, they were targeting particular people. Now they just shoot whoever's moving. So it's a different world. But it surprised me. I, I thought he would be someone that just champions the cause of no violent video games. He's not. So I want to take you into this world of the game quitters. Do video games make you feel lazy? There is, this is said on that website, there is still a commonly held perception that gaming is a waste of time. Now, I wanna give you a caveat right up front because that's what this website tries to get us to do. 
Please do not be judgmental toward gamers. We all know them. They are all around us. There are plenty in this room. Christians, we're not supposed to be judgmental anyway. And just because other people might like to do something we don't like to do doesn't mean we have to act like we're better than them. So let's not be judgmental toward gamers. Now, this particular website is set up and designed to help gamers not feel so bad about being gamers. And it also is set up to help educate the rest of us and educate the gamers. But here's something that's interesting that is on there. How video games can make you lazy. So they can. We shouldn't be judging all gamers as lazy, but here's how they can make you lazy. Now, I want to make sure you understand very clearly, I know people who are adamant gamers, who are some of the hardest working people I know. I, I do know people, but I also know that this st they are statistical anomalies. Do you understand that? They are statistical anomalies. All right, so let's look at how video games, according to this website, can make you lazy. This is for people who are gamers, who are supposed to feel good about gaming and not feel like they're just, like it's justified that they're lazy because you're not just automatically lazy as a gamer, but here's how you can become lazy if you are a gamer. First, gaming warps your perception of effort and reward because it's fantasy, it's not real. There's more, if you wanna read on the website, you can see it yourself. Gaming is highly accessible and convenient. That can make you lazy, meaning that you would wanna do that instead of what you should be doing. Gaming is a safe place to fail. And what that means is in a game, in a gaming environment, you can fail with no real world consequences. So what's happening is a lot of people who got involved in gaming like never before during COVID are not actually stepping out into the real world because there is where you can really fail. So let's just stay in the video games and I don't have to fail. Gamers can develop avatar attachment and I'm just gonna leave it at that. It's a, it's a, it happens. And then gaming is a sedentary activity, meaning that you're not really running around doing the things in the video game. You're using your hands and thumbs and fingers. So that's how video games can make you lazy. Listen to people who run a website who are all about gaming, want to help people do gaming, but don't want people to be addicted to gaming. You can become lazy if you are addicted to gaming. And here's how. So, but I want to give you this. This is also there. Here are three practical steps to help you or someone you care about get more motivated. So understand the implication here is gamers tend to lack motivation. Number one, prioritize movement and exercise. You will feel happier and more energized, and it will give you a break 
from the screen. In other words, but get away from the screen and go do something. Once again, we're back to Solomon's wisdom. Go outside. Be intentional about when you play and when you don't. Decide on your limits and stick to them. Setting a timer or alarm can help monitor your gameplay. I don't know if you're understanding what, they're, what the implication is here. That is, you should limit the amount of time you're on the games. You yourself. Don't wait for somebody else. Don't wait for negative consequences. It should not be a priority of your life to be gaming. It should be low on the priority list. And the third one, focus on your goals outside of gaming. Use the skills games have taught you, like strategic thinking and problem solving, to pursue your real-life dreams. Once again, the implication is if you stay in the gaming world, you don't have the ambition or motivation to get out into the real world. So you have to convince yourself to focus on those real-world goals and start trying to achieve them. If you don't do that, you're going to get stuck in the gaming world and find yourself not launching. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 through 8 again. I want you to look at that. I'm going to read it again. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So if you are one who struggles with some type of addiction that's keeping you from doing the things you know you're supposed to be doing, if it's gaming or if it's something else, it doesn't really matter, it works out the same. What Solomon is saying here to us, to his son and to us is, you need to motivate yourself like the ant who doesn't have somebody driving her to go do these things. She just does these things because she knows she's got to take care of herself. You have to do your part to go take care of yourself. Okay. We'll move on to verse 9 and following to verse 11. How will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. The idea, the concept here is people who are lazy lie around a lot and don't do anything. And because of that, they wind up being very poor and in want. You will not have your physical needs met because you're not doing anything to take care of your physical needs. It's life. It's the way it works. It's not other people's responsibility to take care of you unless you're a child. Proverbs Chapter 6, verse 12 and following. Pay careful attention to this one. This one's a hard one. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil. 
continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. Now, that's a difficult passage to read because we know that God values each of his children. But understand what he is trying to get us to to comprehend here. Worthless person, you understand we are supposed to provide value to others. We are supposed to bring something to the table, not expect everyone else to take care of us all the time. We're supposed to bring something to the table. What is it? And if we don't, what worth is there? That's the idea. We're supposed to create value in ourselves by providing something, by being a producer of something. And if we are physically capable, there's no excuse to not be doing that. So a worthless person, a wicked man, it seems to be uh, coinciding here, it's the same person, goes out, uh, goes about with crooked speech. What they say, they don't really mean. Winks with his eyes, sneaky. Signals with his feet, in the, and I didn't put the Hebrew here, but what the Hebrew word literally means is, They shift their feet or scrape their feet. What happens is people oftentimes will give you signals as to what they're about to do by how they move just before they do it. You can even see this sometimes in drivers. When you're driving around, you'll see some some drivers, you can anticipate what they're about to do because of what they just did. You You can get a feel for it. And the same thing with a person. Oftentimes they'll position themselves in such a way you can tell what they're going to do or what they're not going to do. And so this kind of person that is wicked and is not productive signals that with their body language. Points with his finger, with perverted heart, devises evil, continually sowing discord. Now, that's an interesting thing there. That's something that God seems to be completely opposed to throughout Old and New Testament passages. We are not supposed to divide what God wants to be together. But a person who is not productive will be divisive. A wicked person will be divisive. And so calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. Don't you hear it in his voice as he's trying to get Rehoboam? Son, you're making so many mistakes. Stop. You've got to be productive. You can't be like this. You can't be sneaky. You can't be wicked. You you can't be perverted with all these thoughts that you have that are so self-centered. You can't be going around dividing things that should be united. Everything's going to fall apart, and you are going to be broken. And we know from history, this happened. Rehoboam divided the kingdom and lost control. And for years, God's people were divided. And we'll pick up with the last chunk of Scripture here in Proverbs chapter 6 that we're going to look at today. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. Just understand that all seven things disgust our Lord. 
And here's the whole list, and we'll go through them one at a time in a minute. I'll read the whole thing. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. So let's look at them one at a time. First of all, haughty eyes. What is that? You know, stay away from looking at others as less than you. How about that? It's very easy when we talk about gamers and we have gamers in our families and we think, well, I know people like that. Just lazy. They just, want, they just don't want to do anything. They want to play video games. How about, that? How about we don't look at them with haughty eyes? How about that? That's something that disgusts the Lord. Why would we even think like that? Why would we think that anybody who's struggling with something is less than us? Why would we think that? Why don't we look at somebody who's struggling and help them? How about that? How about if you're a gamer and somebody's trying to help you get your priorities figured out, you don't be so judgmental towards those people who are trying to give you wisdom. How about that? Don't be so haughty with how you look at other people. How about we listen to wisdom when wisdom is given? How about we help people when people need help? It seems so simple, but we don't always do it that way. Second, a lying tongue. Well, he's already mentioned this, that this is what a worthless, wicked person does. And just remember, God doesn't look at you automatically, you're just a worthless person, but he looks at you expecting you to provide your own worth by not just being lazy and producing nothing. But that lazy and wicked person who is not producing, who is not having foresight, who is divisive, could also be lying, and that disgusts the Lord. And the third one is hands that shed innocent blood. Now that's pretty self-explanatory. I struggled with how I was going to bring this up, and I'll go ahead and just throw it out there. So I got a call from the preacher at the church where I was for 18 years in Lacey um, yesterday. And it was a strange phone call. I don't think I've ever had one quite like it. He called me and said that there was a person that was visiting the church. It wasn't a member, but it could have been, given enough time. He could have been a member. But he'd been attending for a while. He said he acted odd. Everybody pretty much thought that. But we're all odd in our own ways. At least I think that. I think I am. (laughs) But anyway, this individual uh, was odd uh, by most people's estimation. And after he told me that, he said, "Uh, maybe you've seen he's been in the news. There was a missing couple, and they didn't know where they went. And they finally went and did a welfare check on their home. And there was so much blood there, they've determined they could not have survived. And this odd man who had been attending the church is the one they arrested. And they believe that he is the one that murdered them. And they've not recovered the bodies. They don't know where they are. And the preacher thought, well, maybe if I get a chance to talk to this individual, um, because he knows me, maybe he'll talk. And maybe he'll allow closure for the family. 
And so it's a crazy twist of events because one of them that was killed was uh, Stephanie's first chiropractor. And uh, so that makes it a little personal, connected to a previous church where we served, connected to the preacher that we know. But the thing that came to my mind while I got this information and connected him to the people he needed to connect to to be able to try to get in and speak to the man who's accused is if I were still preaching there and this happened, I would be thinking, um, how did I, what did I not do that could have prevented this? How could I have connected to him? Because I I wouldn't have, you know, what, what made it where I didn't know he was going through something where he would do something so horrific if he did, in fact, do it. That's where my mind went. So I thought it would be a good idea to bring it up to you at this particular point. Um, hands that shed innocent blood. I love my church family here. And one of the reasons I love my church family is we check on each other. We look out for each other. What I'd like to say to you is let's always look out for each other and anyone who comes and worships with us, even for a short time. Let's Let's be involved. Let's ask people how they're doing. Let's, let's impact our community as best we can and maybe prevent this kind of thing. I don't know if it could have been prevented, but I just, my mind goes there. So verse 18, uh, a heart that devises wicked plans. That's the fourth thing. The disgust God. Feet that make haste to run to evil. It's a horrible thing to, to even know that people rush into evil, but they do, and it disgusts the Lord. Six, a false witness who breathes out lies. And oftentimes we hear this and we think, well, that would never be me. That would never, I would never be that kind of person. But I think sometimes we could be guilty of protecting people that we want to believe in, people that we think... Um, wouldn't do something bad, and we defend them before we should. Um, I'll give you a case of this. Uh, this happens in um, school systems on a regular basis where a child will misbehave and a parent will defend them at all costs until they actually watch the video and go, oh, okay, well, sorry. Like, uh, there are times when we defend people we love because we don't want the truth to be the truth. So we need to be careful and not be false witnesses. And the seventh and final thing is, and one who sows discord among brothers. In a list of things that disgust our Lord, he puts purposely this idea that we should not be dividing. Over the years, there's been so many divisions in the churches. And I forget, I, used to, I gave it to you one Sunday, how many different denominations there are, but there's a bunch. And even in a church like this, in what's called a, a restoration church, if you know the history of this church, it's a wonderful history. You should read it. But there's been divisions. There's three divisions that are three major divisions. There's the Christian church, that, that's us, independent Christian church. There's the Christian church disciples of Christ, which is a denomination. And then there's the church of Christ, which oftentimes... Um, if it's a non-instrumental Church of Christ, oftentimes will act like a cult. But 
if you, if you look at the history, the way we were divided, you want to know how we, we actually, the biggest division started? It was all about music. That's how, that's how arguably one of the largest churches in the world has become divided. Churches that say they want to just follow the Bible. Churches that started a revival in Cane Ridge, Kentucky that spread across the United States of America and impacted everything. The devil got in there and divided the churches, and how he did it was over music. And he's still working on that today. So if you want to be a Christian who does not sow discord, do not be a part of trying to divide the church over what you prefer in music in the church. It's not about you. It's about God. And if we're going to be a church that reaches out to our community, we're going to have music that the community will like when they come in. A style that they might like, and it might not be what we're used to, what I grew up with, the stuff I like. It might be more modern stuff. And if we want, we can just try to choke ourselves and say, I want to do the old stuff the old way, and then we can just shrink and shrink and shrink until we have nothing but senior citizens in here. You want to do that? I think there's value in the old hymns. I think we should sing them sometimes. But I think there is a lot of divisiveness that disgusts our Lord in trying to say, the new ones are evil. Can you imagine? Imagine this. Imagine one of your children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews or one of the kids in the youth group gets totally sold out to Jesus, so much so they love Jesus so much they become, they become a person who writes music. And they come on our stage and the band is involved and they sing a song that the Lord has just laid on their heart and they, they sing this song as beautiful with beautiful words. And it becomes a beautiful song, and then it ends up in other churches. Other, it gets recorded, and other churches are playing it, and other people are using that to worship. And, and under bridges, homeless people are singing when the Salvation Army's down there leading songs, and stuff like that. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But imagine if somebody in some church somewhere said, those new songs are just evil. How would you take that if that was your grandchild? Or your son, or your daughter, or you? Ah, those are worthless, evil, the new ones are bad. Old ones are the only good ones. Don't go there. And if you're one who loves the new songs and you think we shouldn't be singing hymns, you too should get off your high horse and not be divisive. People like me who grew up on the hymns, we don't want it all shoved, all the new stuff shoved down our throat. We don't want to sing songs where you repeat the same chorus over and over and over and over again, and it feels like it's too redundant. We don't want all that shoved down our throats as if this is better than the old stuff. How about people of God? We don't look at anybody as less than us. We love each other, and we try to worship God in the best way we can, however we can, no matter how old we are, no matter how young we are, can we not do this together and not be divisive? Could Central Kitsap be a church that's unique? We don't let music divide us. We don't let our strong opinions divide us. And we don't push these on everyone else. We don't go around campaigning like it's a 
political thing in the church. The one who sows discord among brothers is disgusting to our Lord. Let's not divide. Told you we would talk about some uncomfortable things. Okay, so now the so what part, practical application. Three things and we'll be done. First of all, rather than judge others, help them. Seems simple. We don't always follow through. The second thing, don't be lazy. Now, it very well could be that somebody in this room thinks, well, that was pointed at me. Just so you know, that's what Scripture's saying. And I didn't make this come up to be pointed at anybody. It's been something that I've always felt convicted. I, I feel like God's telling me, don't be lazy. And if you feel like this is pointing at you, good. It is. God wants it that way. Don't be lazy. He doesn't want any of us to be lazy. Take it personally if it'll motivate you. And the third thing, untrap yourself. And there are seven particular things that God gave us. We just went over most of them meticulously, uncomfortably. Let's pray. God, forgive us when we do things that are displeasing and disgusting to you. We know we are not perfect. We know we are going to make mistakes, but we don't intend to upset you. God, I thank you. I thank you for giving us the rich history that you've given each of us in our lives. I thank you for the beautiful music that has come from some from hundreds of years ago and some recently. God, we want to please you in what we do in our worship here with concerning music. We want to please you in how we conduct ourselves around others. Forgive us when we think that we should try to push our way to make a worship service all about what we like and what we want. Help us to think more in line with what you, in a way that you would be pleased a way you, you want us to think. Help us to think more evangelistically, more selflessly, and more importantly, help us to think in a way that would bring glory and honor to you. And God, if we have been lazy, move us. Move us by your word so we don't have to be moved by consequences. Move us by wise people that are around us. Move us by looking at nature. Help us to get outside and see some wisdom as it displays itself before us by your mighty hand. And if there's any of us here who have addictions, whether it's gaming or alcohol or drugs or pornography or whatever it is, Lord, help us to hand that over to you. Help us to get the help that we need if we need professional help. Help us, to, help us to live lives that are more appropriate, more fitting for people who claim to be following you. God, we love you. We want it to show in how we live our day-to-day -day lives and how we conduct ourselves here amongst our Christian brothers and sisters. God, we ask that you would bless us as we
think about the heavy words that come from your scriptures right there in the book of wisdom in the Old Testament. May we not discount them, but may we take them to heart and put them to practice. In Jesus' name, amen.